welcome everyone to another episode of the Tectonic Takes podcast. I'm one of your usual hosts, Ivan Ornelas, and with me, not just his Tectonic Takes podcast debut, but his podcasting debut as well. We've got one of our riders that we've brought on board for Tectonic Takes, uh, Abel Anguiano. How are you doing? What's up, man? How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about what you do writing and anything else about your affiliation with San Jose Earthquakes. Yeah, man. So uh, my name is Abel or Abel. Um, oh, sorry. It could be, it could be, it could be either, either way. Uh, you know, Abel, is, that's how you say it in Spanish, you know? Yeah. So I, I usually go by Ivan in Spanish and yeah. Ivan here. So, yeah, I think for the podcast, it pretty much always been referred to as Ivan. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, continue. <laughs> Oh, so um, I've been writing for a while now. Um, I actually just graduated high school. Um, I'm going to be starting college in the fall. I'm mm-hmm. going to community college. I'm going to be majoring in journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've been following the earthquake since I, w- I want to say like 2014. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, my main team is Chivas. You know, yeah, I'm, there we go. I'm a, uh, my parents are Mexican, so that's usually what I would watch. Um, but I think the first time that I watched uh, the earthquakes was uh, when they played Orlando City and Kaká was in the team. It oh, was like yeah. at the Levi Stadium, and I actually went to go see Kaká, and I ended up like falling in love with the Quakes fan base. So that's kind of like when I started watching the earthquakes. Wow, that's cool how that worked out. Who knows? Maybe yeah. in an alternate timeline, you'd be an Orlando City fan. <laughs> oh man, never that. <laughs> uh, just because of Kaká, I mean, there's tons of Arsenal fans because of Thierry Henry, so you never know. Right. <laughs> but you never know. Anyway, yeah, so that's a pretty good amount of time to follow earthquakes uh, just after their most successful season since they won the MLS Cup in 2012, and then a bit of ups and downs since then. Uh, lately, it was mostly down until, you know, we got a pretty solid result here. Granted, it's still down in the sense that our winless streak continues. San Jose Earthquakes have gone eight games without a win. That's two draws and six losses. However, this is a hard-fought 2-2 draw against Minnesota United in Allianz Field, and it could be the spark that San Jose Earthquakes need in a challenging and crucial month. And I'll talk a little bit more about those future fixtures later. So it's one of those matches where I think it's okay to feel either hopeful or pessimistic. How do you feel after watching that game? Uh, you Kind of like how you said, you can either feel hopeful or pessimistic. Uh, I actually feel a little more hopeful because – you know, I think the effort brought in by the team was something that like lifted my spirits. Uh, you know, it was something that I really liked. It's something that us Quake fan, Quakes fans have been wanting for a very long time now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a very long time. You know, we, we, something clicked against Minnesota United. Uh, I don't know if you noticed that, like, like the, the back line was, was moving the ball very smoothly. And I think there was a smoother transition to attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I think so. Yeah, it, there was a lot more purpose going forward. They weren't necessarily set up as sometimes teams lower in the MLS table will be when they go on the road. You just sit back in a low block, try to play for the point. San Jose Earthquakes were definitely not playing for a point. Granted, they got a point. They were playing for three, and they could have gone all three. And one thing's for sure, regardless of how you feel about this result, is that this Quakes team looks closer to getting their first win since that game against Real Salt Lake than they did a few weeks ago. Definitely. And right now, the Earthquakes have to take advantage of the fact that 
they're not playing anything this weekend. So there's a lot of time to prepare for the next match, which I believe is against Colorado. Yep. And there's even more time to prepare and also work on some things off the field, as I'm sure the search for a new general manager will continue. So on June 29th, San Jose Earthquakes announced parting ways with the general manager, Jesse Fiorinelli, no successor planned, which nothing surprised me about the way San Jose Earthquakes are run, but that seems a little bit reckless. Yeah, I, um, I agree. Uh, you know, right now it's just Matias Almeida's team. And it's, it's him looking at the targets and pointing out, um, you know, potential players for the team in the future. But, you know, it's kind of like bittersweet, you know, um, right now it's, it's just Matias Almeida's team. And I know a lot of people would like uh, just for Matias Almeida to make the decisions because they trust him more than anyone. But at the same time, you know, it would be nice to have a second opinion on things. Yeah, I agree. I think this is just becoming a situation where someone had to take the fall. And it was also the case where if you take, you could take the shot at any number of people, you could blame Almeida, you could blame Fisher, you can blame Fiorinelli, you can blame all of them. And if you make the right decision, then it's going to be a positive change. Make the wrong decision, you know, it could set you back further it's rarely the case where you get rid of someone and then they make such a sweeping change of fortune. Like the exception would have been just recently how Toronto FC, they fired Chris Armas and then they really took it to New England Revolution, the top team in the Eastern Conference. And then they were just out of the gate scoring goals left and right. And, you know, no one was left wondering whether or not Chris Armas was the problem. The answer was yes, but it's going to be, it's going to take a bit more to change and it's going to take a systemic change. You know, you can have switch the personnel, but if the same policy and philosophy is being uh, put on these people to operate in the way that they have for the last several years, then we're going to be in the same position where the quakes will be good for a time, but it'll never be sustained. Right. And like you said, this has to do with like a, a systemic change. Um, I think, uh, the Quakes can benefit from getting like a very ambitious general manager, but not so ambitious that we're just buying players left and right. Right. You know, we'd have to get someone who's, you know, just just the right balance. And, you know, I, I feel like uh, Jesse Fiorinelli, like he he had to adapt to a lower level league because, you know, he came mm-hmm. from from being with the, the top clubs in Italy, you know, Lazio and Roma. Yeah, and, that's um, quite a different situation. Yeah, and now you're coming to the United States where, you know, soccer is a completely different level. And And the expectations are different. There's no promotion or relegation. Right. Right. So you're looking for different elements every time. And, you know, regardless of whether it's a higher level or a lower level, if you're adapting to something different, that's going to take a lot of time and it's going to take a lot of effort on your part. Right. And it wasn't the prettiest of spells here for Fiorinelli. He led the team, or he was he oversaw the team while they had a 41 win, 67 loss, and 28 draw regular season record. They reached the playoffs in two seasons, 2017 and 2020. Uh, and you shared some of your thoughts here. Uh, you don't believe he gets the credit he deserves, and you pointed out a few uh, fan favorite players they brought in. Yeah. Uh... 
I mentioned like Jitsen and Vaco and of course the Mexican players that were yeah. recently brought in. Uh, when Vaco was playing for the Earthquakes, I, I actually thought he was one of the best players in MLS. Like I love watching him play. Yeah, at times he was. Uh, yeah. It's just one of those situations where uh, just like the San Jose Earthquakes himself, unrealized potential. It didn't always work out the way that, you know, we expected him to. Uh, there are times where he played a little bit more individualistic than team oriented, which kind of contradicts sounds earthquakes more of a you know team focused mentality rather than having that one star player even though we've had had star players in the past and of course chris wandalowski certainly qualifies as that um but when he was on his game he was unbelievable he was like 94 lando he was like carlos vela for uh lafc but he wasn't able to put it together for more than several uh two or three games in a row yeah but, uh, you know, just watching him play, you know, mm -hmm. it, it brought in a little more, how would I say, just a little bit more joy watching the Earthquakes play because, mm -hmm. you know, um, even if Earthquakes fans went to the games expecting to drop points, you at least got a performance from one of our best players. Yeah, and that's part of what brings people to stadiums. It's great if you're playing well and you're getting results but when you have players that are as skilled as he is in an individual level that's just another thing to look out for and then other players you mentioned like judson i talked about him in an article that's yet to be published for mls multiplex and he is you know an engine with endless gas like he does things all over the pitch other than score consistently but you know uh, that's not his role and he is, you know, he's a game changer in a way that like he allows other players to attack and express themselves higher up the pitch. There's a lot of dirty work. And sometimes for San Jose Earthquakes, those types of players are the ones we appreciate a bit more because we're not used to a lot of the flashier big names that teams in Florida or New York or Southern California get. But that's just how it goes. And I think it wasn't all failure for Fiorinelli, of course not. In, it wasn't obviously successful either the truth will lie somewhere in the middle and we'll see in the next coming weeks or so who ends up taking a spot yep let's talk a little bit about the international football as well as uh you know not just in CONCACAF but elsewhere so yep. with the Gold Cup roster, U.S. men's national team, Greg Berhalter, selected Jackson Ewell. You saw enough of him in the CONCACAF Nations League where it wasn't his best performance, but he wants to give him another chance. And also, you're not bringing in a lot of the top players like the Pulisics or McKinney's. So he's up there with the experience in terms of, you know, he's seen some minutes at the senior level. He was the, one of the leaders of the Olympic team. Kate Cowell, unfortunately, wasn't left out, which I'll chalk it up to. He's still very young. He's been in and out of the lineup for San Jose Earthquakes. And the USA have plenty of talent just from MLS alone to choose from for this type of tournament. So it's just a tough break for Kate Cowell, but he'll get his chance again. Uh, I think he'll get his chance in the future. He's still very yeah. young. Right. So I'm not going to lose too much sleep over that. And U.S. men's national team's loss, of course, the San Jose Earthquakes gain. It would have been tough to be without both of them. So, you know, it's nice to have at least one of them. 
and despite uh, Marcos Lopez having a decent tournament with Peru, uh, Peru made it to the semifinals of the Copa America. He did get injured again, so that's unfortunate. That's just the one thing holding Marcos Lopez back is if he can stay healthy for a consistent amount of time, he can excel for club and country. Yeah, I agree. And it's good that he's, um, you know, gaining like a uh, international reputation now. Right. Uh, and not just uh, with, with Quakes fans. So it's good for uh, for San Jose Earthquakes as a brand as well. Yeah, that like expands um, the team in all aspects. Right, and we saw it throughout the tournaments this summer that it, in Europe and South America, at least the mid to lower tier nations aren't shying away from MLS players that they know the quality that they bring. It's unrealistic to expect, say, Jonathan Bond, the English goalkeeper from LA Galaxy, to be called up for England. But it's for other nations, like they're looking far and wide for players and they're not overlooking MLS, which is always good. And that's a good sign for players that are considering transferring MLS in the future. Yeah. And I think it was actually really smart of uh, the U.S. men's national team to to put a, a B team, as you would say, in the, in the Gold Cup because it gives a lot more exposure to MLS talent. Yeah, it gives more exposure to MLS talent, and there's no shortage of exposure throughout the Gold Cup rosters. A lot of CONCACAF nations have at least a couple players in MLS or lower divisions in the United States and Canada. And I think it's also going to be important for the U.S. men's national team because there's no such thing as a shortage of depth. You need options because whether you're doing a World Cup qualifier in September or a friendly in March or whatever the case may be, like some players may not be available for whatever reason. So you, the more options you can have, the better, while still developing a core that you can build on to take into battle when the going gets tough for the important World Cup qualifiers and hopefully the World Cup itself. Yeah, definitely. And mm -hmm. lastly, with Euro 2020 and Copa America wrapping up, we got our final set up. Brazil versus Argentina will play tomorrow as we're recording on Friday. They play Saturday. Italy versus England plays Sunday. And then after that, we go into Gold Cup and the Olympic tournaments. Focusing just on the Euro 2020 and Copa America, what would your predictions be for the finals? And do you have any other thoughts on those tournaments? First, let me just say that I'm so glad that these are not happening at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, On the same day, it might be a little too much even then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, definitely. It, them being on different days is going to be a little refreshing for my feed. Yeah. Uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, yeah. But uh, if I had to make predictions right now, I'll, I have a feeling about Argentina this year. You think Messi's finally going to get it done at the senior level? I, I the way I saw him after that win against Colombia, that's that's that inspired Messi that a lot of people like to see. Mm -hmm. um, I have a feeling about this Argentina side, even though it's it may not be like at the level of that team from 2014 that reached the World Cup final. Uh, but you know, it's still being led by Messi. You have a great goalkeeper. Uh, you have great talent. You still have Angel Di Maria. You know, he even at, at his age, he's still putting up performances as if uh, he was like 25 and playing at Real Madrid. And I thought going into this, if Brazil versus Argentina was going to be the final, I thought Brazil would have a massive advantage in the goalkeeping department because Ederson plays for Manchester City, Allison plays for Liverpool. But 
you know, Emmy Martinez of Aston Villa, he had a terrific penalty shootout against Colombia, and more so than the saves, he gained a lot of respect slash attention for, you know, the way he was just getting in people's heads. I even tweeted out that not since Quincy Amariqua, shout out to former podcast guest and Earthquakes player, has someone got successfully gone into someone else's head as Emiliano Martinez. Uh, just yeah, to reference Quincy's uh, favorite quote there. <laughs> yeah, he, he he as a goalkeeper, he's just so like he's he's a character that you want on your team. You know, look beyond uh, the abilities, just uh, the way he is as a person. You know, it really reflects in his goalkeeping abilities, and you saw that uh, in the penalty shootout against Colombia. Yeah, I saw that, and I'm sure a lot of people will be taking notice. Uh, Aston Villa, they've done a good job of holding on to some of their players like him and Jack Grealish, but we'll see how long that can last based on their international tournaments. Uh, before the tournament, I had, you know, unimaginatively Brazil winning it all, and I haven't seen anything that would dissuade me from it as much as I would want Lionel Messi to win something with Argentina. I think Brazil, they're also a very talented and complete team. And Neymar is taking this tournament seriously. He is not, you know, there's always going to be a few diving incidents here and there with Neymar, but he's also being very dangerous and a threat going forward. Dare I say he's been more focused for Brazil this tournament than at times for PSG in the last couple of seasons, which might surprise people and if my friend kevin who's a psg fan is watching this podcast sorry not sorry um <laughs> but uh i think brazil will still edge it out i think it'll be close probably could go to extra time or penalties but i think brazil will edge it out against argentina i think for italy versus england it's coming home or it's coming rome i'm gonna pick rome here i think italy have been a little bit more consistent in this tournament i think england they you know, there's always that feeling like the rug's going to get pulled from underneath them some way, somehow. And it wasn't by Croatia this time or Denmark in this case in the semifinals as it was in the World Cup. I think Italy have the game plan to stop England in their tracks. Uh, they're very defensively solid, which is going to be important against Raheem Sterling and Harry Kane. And I think Italy will get back to where they feel like they belong, winning their first tournament since 2006. Your thoughts? I'm also going to be backing Italy. I feel like most of the world is going to be backing Italy because of <laughs> uh, uh, controversial calls. Yes, we'll just mm. we'll just uh, leave it at that. But um, you know, also just England. Um, I, I'm I'm a big critic of Gareth Gareth Southgate. Southgate. Oh, really? Um, Even still. I, still, uh, one thing I do admire is his flexibility. Mm -hmm. uh, because we saw his lineups completely change from one match day to the other, uh, you know, and uh, against Germany, he used a line of three and it worked somehow. Um, and against, uh, against Denmark, you saw like a more complete team. I guess yeah. you could say like more uh, of a, their usual four, two, three, one. Yeah. Uh, and against you, uh, against Ukraine, I guess Southgate finally figured, figured it out. Uh, that against Ukraine, of course. Against still, Ukraine. Yeah. 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 Uh, but when you have a balanced midfield, like uh, you have Bryce, Phillips, and then Mason Mount, you know, it's very balanced. You have Bryce taking on the defensive duties, although Mount uh, isn't afraid to get uh, defensive work done either. You have Phillips, who's a great box-to-box -box midfielder. 
and then yeah. Mason Mount, you know, uh, easing in that transition to the attack. Uh, if England were to play like that the entire tournament, then you know I would I would uh, favor them by a little more. But to me, just the way that Italy has been, you know, very strong defensively, and just that passion that we see from them, I feel like they're gonna take it. Right, and there's no denying England. Of course, they've made good use of uh, having their home stadium for much of this tournament in Wembley. They're undefeated. Uh, in this tournament and they played mostly in Wembley barring that one game in Rome against Ukraine. And I think they're going to be very tough. I think if this is the team that finally gets it done since 1966, it could be this England team, but I think Italy is just a little bit uh, stronger at this time. So we'll see how that goes. And we'll now talk a little bit about the uh, Minnesota United versus San Jose earthquakes game. The most recent outing here in Allianz field in St. Paul it was a 2-2 road draw, and these are the lineups. So for Minnesota United, we had Tyler Miller in goal. We had uh, fresh from the Euros, y- y- Yuka Rataila, uh, Michael Boxel, Bakaya Dibasi, Chase Gasper as their back line. And they had a front four, oh, a front six, and then their midfield four. The wingers were Nico Hansen and Franco Fragapan, and Will Trapp and Hassan Dotson in the center with Adrian Huno and Emmanuel Reynoso as their forwards, both of them DPs. And their third DP, Jan Gregus, came off the bench along with Osvaldo Alonso, Ramon Avila, and Brent Kalman. And also, lastly, DJ Taylor. Their previous result was a 1 0 win over the Portland Timbers at Providence Park. The changes for that game, the only major change was Malagasy. Uh, that's from Madagascar, uh, right back Roman Metinier was still pending his U.S. green card paperwork. He returned home to France where his family's at, uh, but he hasn't been able to return to the country yet. So Yuka Rataila is back in filling for that spot. So this is the Minnesota team that it's had a few changes since their run to the MLS Cup semifinals last season. And they also made it as far in the uh, MLS's back tournament. The big change, of course, being Franco Fragapan. They signed him a couple months ago. And what do you think? Like, uh, they've been a little underperforming to start this season, uh, a little bit lower than many expected. I think Minnesota United has, they definitely have the talent. Um, I, I, I feel like their problem is a little similar to the earthquakes in terms of like consistency. Yeah. So I feel like if they could just, uh, you know, keep a, a solid lineup and continue to play, you know, how they played against this, the, uh, they played the second half against the earthquakes and, you know, they have a, the, a shot at being one of the most solid teams out there. But, you know, uh, to me, Minnesota has always been a solid team. Yeah. Uh, they're just going through like some inconsistency. Yeah. I think, during the start of their existence, I think Quakes couldn't stop beating Minnesota. And then shortly after we made the playoffs in 2017, some sort of a rebuild took place. And then Minnesota United have been one of the most successful teams against the San Jose Quakes. So it's been a bit of an unfun role reversal that continued this game with them walking away without a defeat there. But Quakes keep chugging along and trying to crack Minnesota if, 
I feel like that's the benchmark right now. If we can compete with a team like Minnesota United, then we're in decent shape to get to where we want to be in this postseason. Of course, it's going to take a long time to and a lot of effort to make up the lost ground from this year. So anyway, Quick's lineup was JT Marcinkowski in goal, Judson at right back, Nathan making his debut from Zurich in center back alongside Osvaldo Alanis, Tanner Beeson at left back, Eric Remedy in, in the holding midfield spot. It's a 4-1-4-1. Uh, Christian Espinoza and Shea Salinas on the wings, Chofis Lopez and Jackson Ewell uh, in the middle of the park, and Kate Cowell up top. And then we saw Chris Wondolowski, Indy Rios, Paul Marie, Siad Haji, and crucially, Benji Kikinovic uh, from the bench. There was a lot of changes from their lineup in the 3-1 loss to LA Galaxy. So you might need a whiteboard for this, but I'm going to try to go through it as best I can. Judson slid from center mid, to right back spot Pomeroy dropped to the bench and then of course Nathan made his debut so no room for flow Tanner Beeson moved to left back which pushed Selena up to the left side Espinosa switched wings and then Chofis went central and then Cal ahead of Wondolowski starting up top so what do you think inspired all these changes <laughs> this lineup is fascinating to me this is one yeah. of the things that I love about Matias Almeida that yeah, he can pull off too. something like this. <laughs> like, like, who else can pull off something like this? Judson from center mid to right back? Bro, yeah. who does that, you know? And it worked. That's the best thing. It worked. I, You know, when, when there was space in front of Judson, he took it up. He was um, being very involved in, in mm -hmm. the plays. Uh, Nathan, I, I love Nathan. Yeah, I, I think he's going to be a good player for us. If his debut is anything to go by, it was mostly positive. Almeida commended his work rate and he was considering subbing him off around the 70th minute mark but Nathan just kept going and he was raring to go and sometimes with coaches if they think you're tired like it doesn't matter uh, what you do like you're getting subbed off but that's a good sign of a relationship between a new player and the head coach and it's breeds confidence in the player and in the fans that okay this is a worthwhile signing it's uh, our last signing uh, from Switzerland, he was a Swiss player, uh, Francois Falter. He was more of a bit in part player. He didn't play week in, week out. And as much as I've enjoyed seeing Flo play for the Earthquakes as a regular starter, if, if this is what we're going to get from Nathan, I think Nathan and Osvaldo Alanis uh, could be the preferred partnership going forward. Yeah, I, I think we should definitely roll with Nathan and Alanis as our center backs. Uh, the moment I saw Nathan celebrate a tackle, like if they were a goal in the last minute of the game. It was unfortunate for them. And, you know, you never want to see someone go out like that. So, and fortunately for them, his substitute, Kalman, uh, he scored the equalizer for them. He was able to score in the 45th minute plus four in stoppage time of the first half and that's just typical quakes right like you know anything that can go wrong will go wrong like you just have to close out the half but that seemed a little bit too much in this occasion yeah and it seemed like such an unreasonable goal as well you know right. he didn't have much of an angle so you would expect uh the defender i think it was beeson who was on him right right it, was, it was tanner, tanner beeson, beeson. 
you know, he would you would expect him to close him off and shut off any angle that he had. Uh, but I guess, you know, he thought that the angle was just uh, not enough anyways. So, but it ended yeah. up going in and that's what we don't want to see. We, we, we want to see effort 100% throughout the entire game. Right. And this is why Beeson, you know, he's been starting a lot more than a lot of Quakes fans expected him to in his young professional career. And at times he stepped up to the plate, but other times this is a reminder that, you know, it's okay if he's not ready to be a week in week out starter and he doesn't need to be once we're all healthy and figured out that situation, but you know, it was an unfortunate goal and it sucked the air out of quakes. And it's been one of those seasons where, you know, you're just taking punch after punch and you're trying and scrapping to get back on the wing column. And that just, you know, can be demoralizing, but with an Almeida led team, like, you know, he's going to keep them motivated, but even after the second goal might've been tough. So Judson does a lot of good work here, but Ramon Abila, he cashes in on the penalty Jutson conceded, and JT initially saved it, but Abila scored the rebound. And it was a sequence much like how Harry Kane scored the decisive goal for England against Casper Schmeichel. Yeah, uh, it was like it, they were basically mirror images of each other. Yeah, it was kind of disappointing. Right. It. I. I was almost as disappointed for Denmark as I was for the Sounds of Earthquakes. <laughs> Right. I was rooting for Denmark all, all the way. That was uh, that penalty was heartbreaking. Not going to lie. Yeah. And uh, both uh, the goals here coming from the substitutions. So Adrian Heath pushing the right buttons, even if one of those substitutions was forced from an injury to get Minnesota in a position where they could take all three points and start to get themselves where they want to be in the table. Like they don't want to be slumming it down here. They believe that they can be one of the best teams in MLS. And they were down the stretch last season. Um, lastly, though, and we're not saving the least for last, definitely the best for last. Benji Kikanovic, our sub, has his opportunity to make his mark with an assist from Shea Salinas to equalize. And it was br- brilliant individual effort from Benji Kikanovic, probably the uh, most skilled goal from the Quakes this season. Yeah, and we also like seeing Salinas getting involved with the goal. He's I think Salinas has been one of our most consistent players. Uh, and it's, yeah. it's great seeing him connect with Benji. Uh, you know, it's, it's like, uh, how would I say? It's kind of like passing the torch, you know? Right. Like from experience to our youth. It was something that I really liked seeing because that means that our entire team, regardless of uh, our age, uh, we're getting along really well and there's chemistry there. Mm-hmm. We just have to uh, keep exercising it. Yeah, and even though Shea Salinas is from Lubbock, Texas, he's done so much for the San Jose Earthquakes that he's essentially a Bay Area guy, and he sets it up for the latest Bay Area native Quakes in Kikanovich. And being a striker and being from the Bay Area, that tended to work out well with Chris Wondolowski. So we're not going to get too far ahead of ourselves, but... Kikanovich definitely earned man of the match for this game, I think, because that was a crucial involvement and it showed what he can do. He stepped up in a big moment, which is not easy to do in your first season. It's, it was a very poetic moment, in my opinion. 
Yeah, and it was the antithesis of most goals we're accustomed to. When you think of a Quakes goal, you go down the list, it's like, okay, they probably score from a set piece or maybe from a counterattack or yeah. some other scrappy Hail Mary situation that Wando cashed in a large percentage of his all-time uh, goals tally from. But this kind of goal is pretty nice. Uh, in terms of skill, like the closest comparison – and, you know, this goal is probably better, to be honest, but it's still a nice goal. It reminded me of Shea Salinas' winner against Vancouver Whitecaps last year in MLS's back. Yeah, it was like a good individual effort. Uh, it was a re- That was a really good game. Uh, but, yeah, uh, you know, it, it's, it's good that we are seeing, you know, um, Benji and Selena's working together and Selena's uh, using his experience. It's, uh, you know, in this game, it was, re- it was reflected. It was reflective of, you know, the things that he's done in the past. Yep. And Minnesota United will probably have a bitter taste in their mouth from that result there, but it's still a long MLS season. Like teams are playing anywhere from like 11 to 13 games at this point. Um, somewhere along those lines off the top of my head. Um, and that means there's still 20 odd more games to go, but still we're starting to feel it. We're like tables are starting to form into the shape that we expect it to be for the remainder of the season. There's still a lot of movement possible, but getting points on the road is essential. And that's what the Quakes did. You just got to find a way to get three points soon. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was quite literally a point to prove, a point to prove that the Quakes aren't a dumpster fire, which is great to know. <laughs> We love that. Yeah. And lastly, uh, do you have any other thoughts on the game? Do you have another player you want to nominate for man of the match or are you just going to go with Benji? I mean, we can go with Benji, but I also like Judson in in the first half. Yeah, he was Judson everywhere. in the first half. He was a great contributor in the first half. He had a shot in the first half and, you know, Judson doesn't do the best shooting. So when he has a good shot, it something that sticks in my mind we're like oh wow Judson look at you you're having a pretty complete performance this game it didn't quite follow up in the second half but Judson remains one of this team's most important players without a doubt yeah I agree fantasy league update uh Abel do you play uh MLS fantasy I actually don't well we'll get you into it next season but for this year uh we're well underway with our uh, league here at the Talent Takes podcast. We have soccer gods in the lead with a point scored lead. That appears to be a first tiebreaker. So the most fancy points scored. If you have the same record as someone, you're going to be higher than or lower than those people respectively. But soccer gods and what a wonderful world both have 10 and one records. I'm part of that chase back consisting of four teams with nine and two records. It's getting tricky with these double weeks. So keep on checking your week every, uh, keep on checking your teams every couple of days, just to make sure that like you're staying on top of the MLS schedule. Uh, if a player gets suspended, you know, sub them out, all that good stuff. It's really fun, but it can be a little tough to uh, keep up. So I can really understand. So now we're going to go with the standings. Uh, this is as of July 8th games. In the Western Conference, we have Seattle Sounders in first, followed by Sporting Kansas City, LA Galaxy, Colorado Rapids, LAFC, Real Salt Lake, and Minnesota United in your top seven in the playoff spots. So that point that Minnesota United earned from San Jose Earthquakes, uh, 
is keeping them ahead of eighth place Houston Dynamo on goal difference. And then behind Houston Dynamo, we have Portland Timbers and Austin with 13 points each. Up next is San Jose Earthquakes with 11 points and negative eight goal difference. That's second worst in the conference. So I'm going to keep on working on that, hopefully. 12th is FC Dallas. Um, wait, that can't be right. Maybe uh, – oh, head-to-head is also a, a tiebreaker. San Jose Earthquakes did beat FC Dallas, so that's why we're ahead of them. And Vancouver Whitecaps in dead last with nine points. So what are your thoughts on the standings here for the Western Conference? I think – uh you know they're pretty uh how do I what say? you expected yeah like what you expect uh like the earthquakes you know they haven't been the worst team but they're definitely you know in, the, in that bottom bunch of teams yeah unfortunately uh, you can't complain because you've lost so many games so that's just how it works out you know but uh, i'm a little surprised uh that the portland timbers are in ninth i would ex- yeah i expected them to be well above the playoff line this year yeah, when you look at the Portland Timbers these last few seasons, other than winning the MLS's back tournament, they've somewhat been underachieving. Uh, and it sucks because you want to see Diego Valeri, who's been probably the best player in the 10-year or so history of the Portland Timbers in MLS. You want to see them, you know, go out challenging for some sort of silverware, uh, granted not at the Quake's expense, but you want to see them better than what they're doing now. Yeah. Yeah. So that would probably be the big surprise here. And I think, you know, right now the Quakes are four points off the Western Conference. And you're not going to make that gap up easily just by picking one point up at a time. So the sooner the Quakes can get on the wing column, the better. I know I sound like a broken record, but that's just the reality of the situation. Eastern Conference, though, New England Revolution, despite that aforementioned shock loss to Toronto, they're on top still. 24 uh, points. Hold on, Ivan. I think my phone is ringing. I'm sorry. All right, let me uh, pause. And in the Eastern Conference, despite that loss to Toronto, New England Revolution is at the top of the East with 24 points, followed by Orlando, Philadelphia Union, Montreal, and Nashville tied in 19th, 4th, and 5th. Uh, tied with 19 points in fourth and fifth. Uh, NYC and New York Red Bulls, the two New York teams rounding up the playoff spots out east. Just below them, though, you have both DC United and Columbus in 16 points. And then the rest uh, playing catch up Atlanta United, Chicago Fire, Cincinnati, and unfortunately, Inter Miami and Toronto both have eight points. I mean, those three points, you know, you're starting to dig yourself out of that hole, Toronto, but still some work to do as well. Uh, and we talked about in previous podcasts, every time we uh, go through the standings, that Inter-Miami are a mess. <laughs> They're not the team that people expected it to be. People expected it to be like like another LAFC, like a, a superstar team that that is always like favorites. It's, it's not been the case at all for Inter-Miami. Yeah, I was a little bit skeptical but even I thought that like eventually the talent would pay off for them but so far it's been like they're the QPR of this league uh if you remember (laughs) this was a little bit before you know you're a Quakes fan but in like 2012 2013 QPR were promoted from the championship and they spent a lot of money on players from other big clubs in England stuff they had Julio Cesar for a time the Brazilian goalkeeper and they thought, oh, wow, they got all these great players, even though a lot of them were at 
the end or past their primes that they should definitely step up if not you know be mid-table but no they've gotten relegated and you know that type of transfer policy it doesn't always work out it's more there's more to soccer than just the talent on the field and games aren't won on paper but uh you also mentioned i think before we started recording that nashville continues to do well yeah and you can say whatever you want about nashville and them drawing literally every other game yeah but uh i'm really surprised at how nashville has like solidified itself uh not only as like a team with a good audience in, in at its games like a good fan base but it, they just play really really well and i'm actually really happy to see them at fifth because they they're kind of what uh an expansion team is supposed to be like it is yeah. not supposed to be like this it's not a superstar team like inter miami this is a a team that is rooted in its fans and i think that's probably why they're doing so well yeah, and I think that, you know, they should be proud. Another team that uh, I'm proud of, as well as their fans certainly are, Montreal Impact. A lot of people, including some of my friends over at the MLS Multiplex podcast, uh, thought that Montreal would finish near the bottom or at the bottom of Eastern Conference. But they've been very solid under a first-year head coach, so good for them. Uh, and lastly, uh, before we get into fan questions, we're going to talk about the uh, upcoming schedule for the Quakes for the month of July. So, as you mentioned earlier, Bill, Colorado Rapids, 6 p.m. July 17th is our next game. So, a week from tomorrow as we record. And then we have a bit of a busy week where four days later we go to Kansas City to play against them. Three days later we go home to Houston Dynamo. Uh, perhaps a bit of revenge is in order for that opening week loss. And we end the month, July 31st, at Seattle Sounders at 2 p.m. So it's going to be a, a tough run of fixtures there. Yeah, and I think this is going to be, like, the ultimate test for Matias Almeida uh, in terms of, like, the team depth and his flexibility. Uh, we're going we're gonna to see just how much creativity he has, uh, you know, because we're, we're facing off against uh, very different teams. So we're going to see uh, if what we saw against Minnesota can transfer into our games against Colorado, Kansas, and Seattle. Yep, and Dynamo and Kansas City are two teams that have beaten the Quakes already this season. Rapids mm -hmm. and Sounders had heavy victories over the Quakes last season. So this is not just revenge. This is a measuring stick to see how much, if at all, this team truly has improved. Yeah. All right, so now we get into some fan questions. Thank you to all our fans who submitted questions, whether it be from Facebook, uh, in Instagram, Twitter, or Discord. There's so many ways to be involved with the Tectonic Takes podcast, so I encourage you to, uh, to follow us on all those platforms, and uh, you'll be able to send us, our, send us questions fairly easily. We'll start with Nico Gonzalez. Do you think we should be giving Benji more playing time at the risk of Wando playing less? Wando's age is showing we have really nothing to lose as Kate continues to develop. So for me, I think since we know for sure Chris Wondolowski is not playing another season, barring an unlikely change of heart, I think you do have to have some sort of plan for the future while you're trying to have success in this season because we don't want Chris Wondolowski to finish his MLS career not making the playoffs. That would be a worst-case mm -hmm. scenario. 
Um, would there be a way? To, I, I don't think it necessarily has to be at the expense of Chris Wondolowski's playing time as a striker. I think if Wondolowski, Benji, and Kate Cowell are your main three striker forward options, you can try to work Andy Rios in there. And unfortunately, you, you do have to kind of work him in there because regardless of whether he's playing well or not, you paid all this money. So it's kind of one of those things where like you're trying to get back some of that investment. Andy Rios can play as a 10. He can play on the wing. So that'd be how I'd manage the situation. Do you think of another idea? I mean, uh, pretty similar to what you think. It, it's now or never for Benji because um, it's going to be pretty hard to adapt to a team where you have to be like the starter or the second yeah. option. So I think like a rotation with Wando, Cade, and Benji, it would definitely work. Yeah. Uh, the Quakes, yeah. you know, even if you were to play one of those three players like every single game, even though Wondolowski is a guaranteed goal at his best, it's not likely you're going to be challenging for the golden boot, which is fine. That's not the goal here. You want to mm -hmm. have the best possible team and best possible combination. And maybe you need that one, two, three punch that all of them have been able to offer this season. Yeah, I agree. All right. So I'll let you uh, tackle this next one from Onik Rusinov. Uh, what do you think of the impact made by the young players? Do they deserve more playing time? Uh, I think the impact has been satisfactory mm -hmm. uh, from what we've seen uh, from Cade Cowell. You know, uh, he's our top scorer, and he's also, like, uh, tied for uh, top assister for us, I believe, at three. Uh, so, yeah, I, I totally deserve that they're getting. They deserve more playing time. Um, you know, it comes back to like what we were talking about, uh, like rotations and, uh, you know, uh, letting the young players be like the third string options as we are getting ready to transition into a new era, you know, with, with players reaching uh, like retirement age. Um, I mean, I guess we could see more playing time from, you know, Benji. Uh, and we would also like to see some movement in the academy. Uh, but I, I feel like the impact has been fine so far. Yep, I think so too. I think you have Kate Cowell being like the main star of this new generation of Quakes players, and rightfully so. But it's not just him. I think Tanner Beeson, he's, his contributions have been important. Like if Tanner Beeson hasn't been able to play overall as well as he has, they'd be very thin at the defensive end of the depth chart. And you have players like Siad Haji, who has been impactful this season, but, you know, still working out some kinks in his game as well. And, of course, you know, we hope to see more Benji after that game. Next, we have Doug Houston. Uh, he asked several questions. I'm going to focus on just two here. Why did Matias take Cade so, out so early? And will management contact Johnny Moore for the GM position? And... Uh, even though I am a diehard Quakes fan, I must admit, like, bef 
there's a certain point of my Quakes fandom where like it becomes a blank. So I had to look up Johnny Moore and it appears that he was the San Jose Earthquakes general manager from 2002 to 2003. Yep. And being a Raiders fan and seeing how the uh, John Gruden experience uh, is going, plucking someone who was good at their job from 2002 into this decade isn't always the best decision. So we'll have to see who ends up getting the GM position. But the more important question right now, it, it was something that I asked myself. Kate Callow should not have been subbed off at least as early as he was. Uh, I think Kate Cowell, he brings energy consistently. And I think it's unfortunate that he really plays a full 90, whether he's starting or not. Yeah. Uh, in a recent article that I that I um, sent to Fabian last night uh, for our early access for our Patreon listeners uh, about Matias Almeida. I wrote about, um, you know, Matias's decisions uh, and why he does the things that he does. I don't really agree with what, uh, what he did in that Minnesota game, uh, taking Kate out so early, but uh, he, he sees things that we don't. Right. And that's the bottom line. He sees yeah. things that we don't, and we can't really argue with that. Yeah, and lastly from Trevor Woshik, uh, heard there was going to be finally some movement on a training facility before the whole Jesse thing happens. wonder that uh, is currently, and to my knowledge, like these sorts of things, like the Quakes uh, personnel, they decide w- what to let us know when they feel like it. Um, I feel like as far as the training facility goes, that's essentially a key part of any successful MLS team or any successful team in general. So that should be a priority to continue to renovate facilities for a modern soccer club. Um, have you heard anything on that front? I This is news to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know that uh, there's there's been a lot of discussion on Twitter about the earthquakes falling behind in terms of uh, infrastructure. Uh, looking at all these teams uh, create new stadiums like Columbus. Yeah, uh, Austin. Yeah, Austin. Uh, it's it's definitely a discussion for the future, uh, for a future episode. Yeah, uh, it's something we'll look into. Uh, but I have not heard anything about a new training facility. Right. So that is a bit reassuring for me because I pride myself in doing like my due research before the podcast. And if I can't find information on something, I hope that's been the case for other people. (laughs) Uh, Don't worry. I also also had to look up Johnny Moore. (laughs) Yeah. Lastly, uh, we have some questions from Instagram. Uh, we do a lot of fun stuff on Twitter, but as well as Instagram. So be sure to check out that one, that account too, if you haven't. All our links will be on our podcast description. So don't worry about being unable to find us. So unfortunately, though, with Instagram, it appears like we can't see who sent these uh, questions. So for you Instagram question senders, feel free to DM us uh, with and to claim credit for questions in the future. What do Quakes need in a new general manager? And I believe the Quakes need someone who is in tune with the trends of MLS as it is in 2021. And that doesn't mean 
you're copying people for the sake of copying them. That's not how you succeed in this league because you do have to make up some differential by doing something different. But if you're doing something completely different or you're not doing enough as other people and the gap widens, then you're failing as a general manager. So we need someone and whether or not Jesse Furinelli that describes him in his philosophy uh, that can be debated but someone who is going to be, you know, talking to the ownership and other people providing funds for the, these transfers and showing that fire, that ambition, nature that can inspire them to feel the same way. Yeah, uh, I think I actually mentioned this earlier um, that the earthquakes in a general manager, they need someone who knows the right balance uh, of ambition. Uh, so hopefully, uh, once we actually get our general manager, uh, they they find someone who's who, like you said, is uh, up to date with MLS trends in terms yeah. of uh, transferring and all that. Because you don't want to fall behind all the other teams. I mean, we're already yeah. behind on infrastructure. Yeah, uh, you don't want to fall behind on transfers and all of that. So yeah. yeah. All right, and our next question from Instagram, what should our attacking line look like moving forward? So let's think about the next game against Colorado Rapids. So, and let's think about the front four. So the attacking midfielder, the wingers, and the striker. Who would you start? I would start Chofis as like a center forward or center attacking mid position. And I like having Christian Espinosa on the right. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm willing to try Shea Salinas again at left mid and at striker. Why not give some confidence to Andy Rios? Hmm. That's an interesting, that's a tectonic take there. I think that's some very people will take. Uh, feel as they're listening to this podcast. Um, I think what I would do, my policy here is since we're relying in relatively equal amounts right now to Wondolowski, Cowell, and now Kikanovich to provide some of that offensive spark. I want to ride that hot hand. So I want Kikanovich to get a start for the next game. I want Shea Salinas as well. I think, as you mentioned, he's one of their most consistent players this season. I want Espinoza on the right side. And then in attacking midfield, hmm, that's a tough one. It could be I mean, Jackson Ewell could play further up, but he often plays as a center mid unless Utsen and Remedy are the CDMs and you move Ewell up top. But most likely Ewell's going to be a CM, so I'm not going to include him. Let's give uh, Chofis another chance uh, at the 10. Yeah. Uh, I actually really like him leading the attack, uh, uh, not as a striker, but I feel like the energy is there and the ideas are there. It, he just has to find a way to get those onto the pitch. Yeah, and we wait and see what Carlos Fierro can do when he gets his next opportunity. Uh, I'm trying to remember if he had an injury or something that he hasn't been appearing. That might be the case, but I'm drawing a blank right now. Uh, unfortunately, my notes are 99% uh, comprehensive. This would be the 1%. <laughs> yeah. And another player who didn't get brought up in that uh, last question, and this will be our last fan question from Instagram, 
Uh, oh, and we also have a couple from our riders, uh, including yourself, Abel. We'll get into that. So for the Instagram question, why doesn't Haji play more? And I think this is an example, with all due respect to Haji, uh, why he doesn't play more, why he's probably better off on the bench for the time being, because he needs to improve his decision-making process. And this is something that we saw a little bit with Vaco while he was a Quake, that we see the talent, but it, you also have to apply it with the right decision-making process, like knowing when to challenge players, knowing when to make the pass, knowing when to take the shot. And I think that's the next step for Haji. Yeah, and, and it's a problem that you find with a lot of players who have individual abilities, mm-hmm. and players who are very skilled at one-on-ones. Uh, it's just a, a matter of maturity uh, for me. I, w- I would love to see Haji play more. I think he's an incredible talent, but, you know, just that level of maturity isn't there yet. You're right. And this was a question that you submitted before, uh, you know, we decided that you were going to be on this podcast as uh, Favi continues to work on some of his stuff in Japan. But uh, you mentioned that the strikerless system of Chofis as a lead in the attack actually works well. Uh, why do you think that's the case? I think that's kind of the case because when Chofis has someone in front of him, I, I feel like he feels pressure to move forward uh, with him. But when you, you're given the space to move around more freely, you find players on the flanks. Uh, like you, you can find Christian Espinosa, and look how that turned out. He yeah. found Cape Cowell. And the ball was in the back of the net. So it's not like exactly a strikerless system because, um, you know, uh, how I mentioned my attacking line moving forward, it doesn't have to be Andy Rios, but if you have like Cade Cowell there um, and you have trophies just kind of like dictating where uh, everyone is going, uh, it, it brings out his personality. It brings out his creativity. And I feel like that's what the earthquakes need right now. Yeah, I think. Any sort of creativity is always a welcome addition to the Quake's attack moving forward. Uh, I accidentally skipped over this one Instagram question. What should we be looking forward to? I kind of want to skip the next season already. I think while there were some moments of calamity in this game against Minnesota United with the way we conceded those two goals, there's a lot of positive signs as well on both ends of the field. So I think you keep watching this season because – this at least for this next month because they'll tell you what kind of quakes team this really is and what to expect going forward if we don't win any of the next four games then i completely understand if you want to check out for a little bit but um i think there's enough to be impressed by this quakes team and hope that they'll win a game soon yeah uh just to answer that question with one word youth yes we have cowell we have haji we have like so many young players, uh, that that should be enough, honestly. And on the other end of the spectrum, like this is Wanda Lasky's last season. So as yeah. much as it can get ugly at times, like it's going to be worth watching him as for as long as we have him. Yeah. And lastly, from another one of our new writers here at the Teutonic Takes, Matt Dobner. JT made a good play on the penalty kick last night. It's great to see him guess right and get a save, although he didn't su- – Cure the ball and Ramon Avila was able to cash in on the rebound. I think, you know, every goalkeeper is hard on themselves when they spill a penalty and allow it to be scored or in a penalty shootout situation, they get a hand on it, but can't keep it out. 
but I think for the positive is that JT Marsikowski is still proving like he is the right man for the job between the sticks. Yeah. And I think we're also at the point us earthquakes fans where anything positive, we like to make a note of it, you know, uh, yeah. JT making a good play on the PK, you know, for, for a team that's really informed, that could be anything, but for yeah. us, you know, that's a sign of, of, you know, just, uh, having energy for the game and being your mind being in the moment. The one team, this organization and these players have in spades, mostly the players, like, you know, the organization itself is what it is, is resilience. And yeah. that's what JT Marcinkowski showed just by saving that initial penalty. And just from how he's carried himself in this uh, season, it's been tougher on him than he expected. I think he was hoping that he would continue to trend completely upward, but that's not always the case. And for a goalkeeper, he's still pretty young too. So he's got plenty of years ahead of him as well. Yeah, I agree. All right. So thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US soccer. Get custom scarves for your group team or at roughneckscarves.com. If you're tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas and want to supply a completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult, or pro team, Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com. And as our team at Tectonic Takes continues to grow, the motivation to take Icarus FC up on that offer only grows further and further. Um, thank you again, Abel, for being able to fill in and join us on this podcast. I look forward to having you again in the future. What are your closing thoughts? Uh, you know, the earthquakes I feel after this game against Minnesota, we're back on the right track. It's just a matter of um, how long can we stay on it? Yeah, and I think we'll find out uh, not this Saturday, July 10th, but a week from then when they take on the Colorado Rapids. Go Quakes!